Welcome to Back Porch Bible Studies, where friends come and talk about what the Bible says about our God. My name is Deborah Geisels, and I'll be your host on this weekly podcast. You know, it's been said that the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. So here, we'll study to know our God, and to know Him is to love Him. So, grab a drink and settle in for an afternoon of catching up and talking about our great God. Welcome, friend, to my back porch. If you want to follow along, today we are studying Ephesians 5, verses 6 through 14. You want to open up there? We'll start reading. Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and all righteousness and all truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which were done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. And for this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, this morning as I sat on my back porch watching the sun break through the darkness of the night, an excitement grew as more and more of the earth was being revealed. The trees along the horizon of my sunrise cast long shadows over the corn growing at the end of our yard. The morning mist hovered just above the corn as though waking from beneath their blanket of night. The birds seemed to share my excitement as their morning songs grew louder and louder. Off in the distance, I could hear an old rooster trumpeting the morning. But today, I was particularly fascinated by the shadows. The higher the sun rose, the more defined the shadows became. As the light hit the ground, it became clear all the things that were blocking the light. Even though this tree was being covered in light on one side, that same tree was casting a well-defined shadow across the field on the other side. Can you, can you see it with me? For me, the shadows are part of what makes the sunrise so luminous. It's the beautiful contrast of the night being chased out by the day. It's the transition. I know that it won't be long before the brightness of the light will wash away even the shadows. That the earth will be so flooded by the light that the shadows seem to be washed away. Maybe that's what Paul was thinking when he said in verse 13, But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. No more shadows. In Genesis... The creation of light was God's first creative move, Genesis 1-3. In the process of generating life, light was God's initial instrument for illuminating the dark and formless void. 
It was the inaugural instance of God shining light in the darkness. Okay, so let's look more closely at this passage so we can better understand what light is and what it means to walk in the virtue of the light of Christ. We know that the Spirit of God uses natural sunlight as a metaphor for divine or spiritual light, an, an image used numerous times in Scripture. It is also true that natural light is a kind of metaphoric representation of God himself, since he is the true light. John 1.9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Either way, when we ask what light is, natural or divine, we soon discover that it's not simple. We think we know what light is until we're forced to define it. If asked, we might be able to manage something like, natural light on earth is the electromagnetic radiance of the sun. But beyond that, most of us would start stumbling about except perhaps for a few science nerds I happen to adore who might add that there are also ultraviolet waves, x-rays, infrared rays, etc., etc., etc. The truth is, the deeper science has delved into the nature of light, the more complexity we've discovered. There's far more to light than meets the eye. The same is true of divine light. The Bible describes it as the very radiance of God's glory in Revelation 21, 23. It says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. If we are asked to define this divine light, we might be able to manage, <laughs> with John Pepper's help, Something like, the light of God's glory is the radiance of the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. <laughs> Thanks, John. But again, beyond that, most of us would be hard-pressed to give an articulate answer. There's far more to God's light than meets the spiritual eye. In the natural realm, we depend on the sun's light for illumination. Our physical bodies have eyes, and therefore we need light to show us where we are and where we need to go. We also need it to help us see and dodge the many dangers around us. We have good reason to have a natural fear of the dark because it conceals those dangers. Darkness veils creatures, inanimate objects, and environments that can seriously injure or kill us. You would never drive at night without your lights on. And in the dark, we don't know where we're going. The sun literally gives our bodies life. In order to survive, we eat plants that eat light. <laughs> or we eat animals that eat plants that eat light. Our bodies also absorb vital nutrients directly from the sunlight and wouldn't even be able to survive without the heating effect that this electromagnetic radiance provides. So natural light shows us the way we should go, reveals what's true about our surroundings, and literally gives and sustains our bodily lives. The same is true with divine spiritual light that Paul refers to in Ephesians 5, that we 
are light in the Lord, the light that is God. First John 1 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So divine light shows us the way to go. Psalms 119.05 says, your light is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Divine light reveals what is true about our spiritual surroundings. In Matthew 4.16, it says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Divine light literally gives us spiritual life. In 2 Corinthians 4.6, God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, light is the Word, and we know that the Word is Jesus. He embodies all that we know spiritual light is and does. He is the way and shows us the way to go. He is the truth and reveals the truth of our spiritual surroundings. And he is the life and gives us life. He's the light from which we derive our very life. And in his light, we not only see light, we become light in the Lord. That's what Ephesians 5, 8 just told us. And therefore, become ourselves the light of the world. That's what Paul wants us to know. In verse 8, for you were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. Remember what you used to think about? How you used to act? Reminders of dark ways and dark times can bring a chill to our spines. Feelings of shame surround the secrecy of living in the dark. I know you have probably all experienced some place where there is no light, been someplace really, really dark, like dark everywhere. Maybe you've been to Mammoth Cave when they turn all the lights off and it is so dark, you almost feel like someone has dropped a blanket on you. And then they light a candle. All that darkness is so much more than that little candle, but that candle has more power than all that darkness. As much darkness that surrounds that little light, it cannot put the light out. In the New Testament, light and darkness are common symbols of good and evil. It's clear that light in John 1, 5 represents life and ultimately eternal life with God in his heavenly kingdom when it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When he writes the darkness has not overcome the light, it's because evil cannot overcome Jesus Christ who states, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me shall stay in darkness. John 12 46. Darkness is the absence of light the lack of God. Oh, hear that. Let me say it again. Darkness is the absence of light, the lack of God. It represents the power of evil and sin and unbelief in this world, all of which lead to eternal death. 
praise God, he turned the lights on. When his light came into your life, into my life, darkness was broken like a candle in the cave. Before the light came, there was no way of knowing we weren't a child of light. God specifically exposes dark and rebellious ways in us so that, so that we can be truly free. Now that God has freed you from sin, he tells you to live that way. Live as a child of light. How do we do this? We imitate the Father of light. Remember what we just read in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. Imitating the Father obviously pleases him. When God says, walk as children of light, we are to imitate our parent. Who's our parent? Light. God is light. And in him is not darkness, not even a shadow. John reveals how God brought light to the world through Jesus Christ. And it was the whole purpose of God coming to earth as a human. John 1, 4 through 5 says, In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ came to bring the light of God's life into a spiritually dark and dying world. The very nature of light is to shine. And darkness can't exist in the presence of light. Just as a bright street lamp discourages criminal mischief at night, so the light of Christ dispels the darkness of sin in the world. Just as the first rays of dawn pierce the darkness, the blackness of night, God's light and truth carry spiritual awakening to darkened hearts. Did you notice Paul worded the results of light and darkness? Look how he, he worded it in verses 9 and in 11. He says, For the fruit of light, these are the fruit, consists in all good goodness, and righteousness, and truth. But then in verse 11, he says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Did you get that? The fruit of the light and the unfruitful deeds or works of darkness. Fruit of light, deeds of darkness. What's the difference? What's the difference between fruit and deeds? Well, look at the peach tree. Does a peach tree labor to pop out peaches? No. Fruit is part of the life of the tree. It is the outpouring of what is inside and what it was created for. Deeds or works, on the other hand, are the result of deliberate effort and intentionality. It's manufactured and developed. So, as fruit of light, it's just going to come from us. But the works or the deeds of darkness is manufactured and developed. Look what grows out of light, the fruit of light. Look what naturally comes from a child of light, goodness, righteousness, and truth. You know, I was struggling to see what the difference was between goodness and righteousness. And I know there's a lot of ways you could define this, but I read in Romans 5, 7, and 8 where these two words were written together. 
And, and it was interesting. Listen, listen to what it says in Romans 5, 7, and 8 concerning goodness and righteousness. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. To catch that? Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Isn't that interesting? That we would rarely die for a righteous person, but maybe a good person. What? Well, here's what I think. A righteous person, in, a, in its broad sense, is someone who is as he ought to be. He, he lives rightly. Someone with integrity and purity, who has the right way of thinking and feeling and acting. But a good person is all those things and is beneficial to others. Now, I, I know a person living righteously is beneficial to others, but not, not from the other's perspective so much. But a good person, not only are they living rightly, but they bring that goodness into the lives of others. People are made better because of their, shall I say, their light. Look back at verse 9 again, at the fruit of light. It says, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. What is truth? In defining it, I think it's helpful to note what truth is not. So let me give you five things that truth is not. First, truth is not simply whatever works. The philosophy that the end justifies the means approach, in reality, lies can appear to work but they are still lies and not the truth. The next thing that truth is not, it is not what makes people feel good. Unfortunately, bad news can be true. The next thing that truth is not, it is not what the majority says is true. 51% of a group can reach a wrong conclusion. Truth also is not simply what is believed. A lie believed is still a lie. And the last point I want to make about what truth is not is it is not what is publicly proved. A truth can be privately known. For example, the location of a buried treasure. So what is truth? The Greek word for truth is aletheia. It's A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, which literally means to unhide or hiding nothing. It's a transparency. It conveys the thought that truth is always there, always open, and available for all to see, with nothing being hidden or obscured. I like that, not being obscured. Sometimes I miss the obvious. I love that God's truth is not obscured. The Hebrew word for truth means firmness, consistency, and duration. Biblical truth, which is the only truth that is genuinely true, implies an everlasting substance and something that can be relied upon. In short, truth is simply telling it like it is. It's the way things are, and any other viewpoint is wrong. In an article from the website Got Questions, which I love Got Questions, I ask gotquestions.com all kinds of questions. There's an article in there entitled, Is All Truth God's Truth? I think it helps clear this up. Listen to this article. In order for something to be declared true, it must be discoverable, 
transcultural, unchanging, unaffected by attitude, absolute, and knowable. For example, 2 plus 2 equals 4 is a truth that can be discovered, not created by a person. It transcends all cultures, it never changes, cannot be affected by feelings, is absolute in its factualness, and is knowable by all of humanity. These same qualities and attributes can be ascribed to the God of the Bible. God is truth. He made himself discoverable throughout history and through the Bible. He transcends all cultures in his very attributes. His existence cannot be affected by our feelings or attitudes. He is absolute as the Alpha and Omega, and he is knowable through scripture and personal revelation by the Holy Spirit. The ultimate revelation of God and therefore of truth is Jesus Christ. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 says, Anyone who has seen me speaking of Jesus, has seen the Father. In the same conversation, Jesus equated himself with the truth. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Since truth itself is part of and proceeds from the nature of God, and all truth is bound up in Jesus Christ, then yes, all truth is God's truth. If something is discovered to be true, like 2 plus 2 equals 4, or that love is the ultimate virtue, then that truth can only come from the God of truth and is revealed in the Bible. Isn't that good? So as children of light, what will come from walking in our salvation? Paul gives an extended description of light bears fruit in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Y'all know this verse, but put your finger in there because we're going to come back to this in just a minute. But let me, let me read this description of light bearers fruit. In Galatians 5, 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, hold your finger there. Fruit is not something we muster up. We don't work at producing fruit. The truth is, as we walk worthy of our calling, as our life rises to the privileges of all that we have inherited in Jesus, these things will be evident in our lives. Why? To what end? To be all of that in a bag of chips? No! Paul reminds us in verse 10 that it is to please God as a sweet-smelling aroma and to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Remember, that's what this whole thing is about. All right, look at the contrast between fruit and unfruitful deeds of darkness. Ha, deeds of darkness. Wow. Okay, by going back to Ephesians 5, 3 through 6, we read that immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, and profane talk, coarse jesting, all that idolatry work is the work or the deeds of darkness. In Galatians 5, where we just looked at the fruit of, of the Spirit, back up a little bit to verse 19. We read 22 and 23, but back up to verse 19. Galatians 5, 19 says, now the works of the flesh, or the deeds of darkness, are evident, which are 
adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder. I mean, this is a gross list, you guys. This is darkness. Murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We can know then that the fruit is of the Spirit of God. Goodness, righteousness, truth, all those good things, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And we can know that the deeds of darkness are the same as the works of the flesh. We can know that when we are living as light, allowing the Spirit to work out our calling, our character will reflect the nature of God. As we said before, the nature of light is to shine, to expose all that hides in the shadows. Okay, we have seen from God's Word that to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we're called to walk as children of light. Of course, it's not technically our light that shines. It's the light of Christ entrusted to believers as light bearers. In other words, we do not produce the light within us. God does. And through our good works, people will see the character of the one who gives that light. And now as children of light, Paul gives a new imperative in verse 11. Do you remember what an imperative is? Present imperative? Present imperative, remember, means to continually, habitually follow this command. In verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead, here's the imperative, even expose them. Did you know that when exposed is used in the word of God, it never means to uncover good or beautiful. It always reveals what is wrong, evil, or unrighteous. Read verse 11 again. Do not participate in the deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Notice that it doesn't say expose the sons of disobedience. It says to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Just like the sun coming over the horizon, flooding the earth with its light, when we walk in light, we are light. The contrast between fruit and deeds of darkness will be exposed. Light inevitably exposes darkness. The deeds of darkness tend to hide in the shadows. It seems strange to me, though, that when we are given this command to expose, that verse 12 says it is disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. (laughs) So if we are to expose the deeds of darkness and we're to expose the deeds of darkness without speaking of such things, how do we do that? Well, there may be many ways I think this example in scripture helps me understand. Turn with me for a minute over to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. We're going to talk about how to expose darkness without speaking. 1 Peter 3 says to do this. So let's let's see what it says. He said in verse 1, Wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands so that, and here it is, If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. How? By the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. I think that purity and reverence 
is that light that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5, that they would see our behavior. Peter doesn't say if the husband is a believer or an unbeliever that he can be won over. It has the idea of someone in active disobedience to God's word, either living in darkness or living in the shadows. Even these husbands, even these people can be won through godly conduct. This is the kind of faith and obedience that can accomplish great things, even without a word. The same power of God to work in the lives of the sons of disobedience through those closest to them by the very light of God shining through them. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we are never to speak the word of truth and correction. Clearly, we are told in other scriptures that we are to speak the truth in love. I believe what God is, wants us to know here in Ephesians 5 is that the power of his light in us has the ability to convict and correct, even without a word. Man, I'd love to just dive into that for a couple weeks, but let's move on. Look with me one more time at verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Now jump to verse 13. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. As we wrap up this lesson, we must answer the big question, the one in which this whole imperative is directed, this command to expose the deeds of darkness. Ready? Here's the big question. In whom does Paul want darkness exposed. Who does Paul want the darkness exposed? In the child of light or in the sons of disobedience? When I first read this, I put it on the sons of disobedience, the unbeliever to whom the deeds of darkness exists. I assumed that the sleeper was the non-Christian. And to be fair, there's some of my favorite commentators that made a strong case for that very thing. Maybe that is who Paul is citing here. It's very true that we are to be the light in the world, that they may come to know the saving truth of Jesus Christ and live as children of the light. The darkness that concerns Paul in Romans 1.21 is the darkened, foolish heart of the wicked, whose mind the God of this world has blinded to keep him from seeing God's light. And it is a terrible darkness. Part of what makes this darkness terrible is that it masquerades as light. They think they know where they are and where they're going, but they don't. They think they see what's true about their spiritual surroundings, but they don't. They think they are fully alive, but they aren't. The light in them is darkness, and in this quote, light, they don't see light. That is the great darkness. And for sure, the most loving thing we as children of light could do is expose that darkness and allow the Spirit of God to draw them into the light of life. But if we put this verse back into the context, if we see the whole reason, the purpose declared in, in chapter 4, to walk in a manner worthy, all right, let's go back there and look at it. 
In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Guys, Paul addresses this letter to the believers, and by that you and I who are the children of light. Ephesians 2, 1 said, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Guys, Paul is addressing this whole letter to children of the light, to, to you and me. And he only contrasts it with who we used to be or the ones who walk in darkness. Can it be that the child of light needs some exposing? Is Paul addressing the believer as a sleeper? This hit me like a candle in the cave. Verse 14 says, For this reason, awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, when one sleeps, it actually appears like the person's a corpse. When my children were newborn babies sleeping in a crib, I would put my hand on their back to make sure they were still breathing and they were not dead. Because in sleep, the resemblance is almost exactly akin to death. When the Bible talks about those who sleep and who are still physically alive, the connotation is that their righteousness, which is received through faith, is not visibly evident. And therefore, the person appears to be no different than someone who is unrighteous. That is, the believer and the unbeliever are sometimes indistinguishable because the believer is living a lifestyle that is no different than an unbeliever. Shadows in the sleeper. Thus, the believer is, quote, sleeping. While they have righteousness and therefore are alive to God, they are indistinguishable from someone who is a corpse, that is, someone who is an unbeliever and in darkness. The living believer actually looks dead from a spiritual perspective. But since they are actually alive to God, they are called sleepers. Awake, sleeper. We have to remember that no one is physically unconscious. That is, no one is literally sleeping in this imagery. Thus, the quote sleeper is someone who consciously lives in darkness where the light does not shine. They live in the shadows. Although they are light, they have yet to expose the shadows of their lives. Our Christian testimony, therefore, is compromised. So, what are the marks of a child of light who is asleep? The things that characterize the body when it's asleep will help us determine when the soul is asleep. When the body is asleep, it is in a state of inactivity. All its members are slumbering still. It is also a state of unconsciousness when the normal exercises of the mind are suspended. The sleeper is therefore in a state of darkness. We need light to show us where we are and where we are to go. We need light to help us see and dodge the many dangers around us. Darkness conceals danger, veils creatures, inanimate objects, and the environments that can seriously injure or kill us. And in the dark, we don't know where we are going. Darkness exercises a loose and sloppy mind instead of a renewed mind. Darkness 
indulges in impurity and immorality instead of sacrificial love. Darkness basks in pride instead of humility and gentleness. Paul declares, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of a light. Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As children of light, continually, habitually walking in our calling, we are to expose the darkness within the body, within ourselves, within the church. It's one of the greatest acts of love for one another and preserving the unity of the body. Remember the trees at sunrise? While the sun saturated the one side, what was happening on the other side? You're right. Even though the tree was being covered in light on one side, that same tree was casting a well-defined shadow across the field on the other side. The higher the sun rose, the more defined the shadows became. As the light hit the ground, it became clear all the things that were blocking the light. I believe that Paul is calling out the believer, the sleeper within the body of Christ. I realized even as a child of light, there are things in my life that are blocking the light from shining. Shadows of the patterns of my old life. You are no longer sons of darkness in which you formerly walked. Walk no longer. Awake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Next time you see the sun rising, check for shadows. Back Porch Bible Studies is the ministry of women in Christian leadership. You can find this podcast on your favorite forum or go to womeninchristianleadership.com to find the many ways women in Christian leadership can help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Back Porch Bible Studies would like to thank their sponsor, the faith-based business of Millennium Metals, in business to serve Christ.